0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. A part of the world where the church is growing like gangbuster, left and right. The children's ministries are overwhelmed, the number of pastors uh, needing to be... Uh, trained and put in their churches, my goodness, it just feels like such an incredible task. So, be praying for that. But also know, like, that's my experience, and so I'm sharing out of that. Now, as I um, begin, let's, let's look first at the Word. And so, sorry, I have a little bit of learning to do. Um, So our passage this morning is actually two passages that are connected, the famous passage of the mission of God, John chapter 3, verse 16, and then I'll read that post-resurrection passage, the Great Commission according to the Gospel of John. John the Apostle writes, oh, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. John the Apostle writes, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And later on in John chapter 20, verse 19. Again, John chapter 20, verse 19. The resurrected Jesus is presented here. On the evening of that day, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for speaking. A God who shares, who calls, who commissions. We ask this that in the hearing of your word, you would again give us life, fill us with your spirit, tantalize our joy, and let our joy find its home in you. For Jesus' name's sake, we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, these two incredible passages the first one focuses on the mission of God as he sends his son to redeem a world, and the second is an extension of that same mission as Jesus sends His disciples into the world. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at how it worked in this shared mission. We're going to look at the adamant love of God for missions. This is not a new thing that came about with the New Testament, but a a revelation of the heart of God, really from the beginning, but we'll look especially from the Abrahamic Covenant. And then we'll look at the adventure, that Christ sends us into the world. And then finally, we'll look at the animation, the empowering spirit uh, that, that leads us and pushes us forward. So we'll look at these three things together. Now, when I was dating my wife, Kathy, my family knew that I loved her. And, you know, how do you know someone loves another person? There's an African proverb, the, the path of friendship is hoed with the foot. That means that when you have a friend, you're visiting them. And when you walk on the path, it's, you, you, it's a path, like it's weeded because the foot goes on it so much it kills everything that tries to grow in the path, right? So there's a sign to show affection. Well, how did my family know that I loved my wife? I'll tell you a couple of ways. One is that I would drive like 30 minutes to spend 15 minutes with her, and then 30 minutes back home. And it was like, no problem. It was a delight. Terrible, inefficient use of my time, but it was worth it. Or I started inviting her to holidays. Or um, I would talk about her so affectionately, like ravingly so. I would say, my goodness, Kathy, we went to the grocery store and we got some groceries and she remembered every single price and the sales price of a full grocery cart worth of food. Like she just has this incredible memory. Or if I talk about something in the future, like in the back of her mind, a calendar scrolls down and like she can tell you what day of the week, that event is? No, that won't work because that's a Thursday. We have this on Thursday. And I'm, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is an incredibly gifted woman. Or she'll be able to say, um, this event happens and she can tell me all the things that have to happen in order for that ultimate event to happen. Now, I'm looking out and I have kind of a cool advantage because I can see some among you who are like smiling because they know in their family someone with that sort of gift. And they, they're like, yes, that's right. You see, though, when that gift is there, it's, it's beautiful. I saw it, and I was able to speak of it. And when my family heard me speaking of it, they're like, oh, my goodness, this guy, Dale, is captivated with Kathy. Now, I've given that illustration, but let me ask you another question. How do we know the love of God for the world? Like, isn't life lived really chaotically? I mean, it just seems to go by so quickly, doesn't it? From day to day to day, from week to week to week, it just goes so quick. And then we have these, like, great moments, but boy, a lot of life is lived just in the mundane, and sometimes it's lived in the tragedy, and it just doesn't necessarily feel like we're seeing the love of God lived out left and right. How do we know God's love for this world? Well, John tells us. He tells us the penultimate. We know it because God has sent His Son. But for us, as we have all of the Bible, this is not a new theme. This is a theme that the whole scriptures are replete with. In in Genesis chapter 1, God told our first parents to spread out. And fill the earth. By Genesis chapter 11, humanity had built a tower so they could live together, making a name for themselves, proudly building up this tower using the finest of technology, bricks baked thoroughly. My goodness, we, our technology is the iPhone or other fun social media like that. But they were building a name for themselves so they wouldn't have to spread out. God brought about the division of the nations with the the dividing of the languages, spreading people out, and He determined that there is one way to bring about the unity that He had originally planned in the Garden of Eden, and that one way is for a life to uproot itself, Communicate and share the gospel, crossing these cultural barriers, these language barriers, and letting the beauty of the kingdom be seen. A word for that in the gospel, a word for that through the Old Testament is blessing. That story of the Tower of the Babel is a springboard for this mission of God that we see throughout the Old Testament. It begins here in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, at the call of Abraham. There we read in verse 3, Through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This tells us a purpose. Are you following me? A purpose. Now, these are fighting words. It sounds simple, doesn't it? But it's actually, I'm claiming a plumb line for the purpose of this age. The reason we're here, the reason you have lung in your ears to your, your your sorry air in your lungs today, it's for this purpose. Let me go a different direction. Same point. If I had a toaster, how do I know I have a good toaster? Well, it toasts, and I like toast that's actually crispy on the outside, slightly brown, a little golden, but warm and a little moist on the inside. Now, a toaster that can pull that off is a good toaster. You see, I've set a plumb line of purpose. Are you following me? Now, what I'm saying the purpose of this age is, is that this is a day of grace. This is a day where the the plumb line, the purpose of this age is for this blessing, this covenantal promise that all the nations would be blessed, that it would happen, that we are in the middle of a story ordained by God. That He is designed for us to come together for this purpose. The purpose of this church meets up against that plumb line. And and we're considered a faithful church as we enter into and fulfill this purpose. Whether in our discipleship and our love for one another, our fellowship, our, our vision and our prayers. All of these come together for the fulfilling of this purpose. Praise the Lord. Well, Abraham, you have a purpose. And it will be that you will bless the nations. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This same promise is given to Abraham again at no small time. After the sacrifice of Isaac, his son, we read these words in verse 18 of Genesis 22. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Like at that moment... God is concerned for the world. God loves the world. Again, God repeated this promise to Isaac. In Genesis 26, verse 4, he says, And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. God loves the world. Again to Jacob, that third patriarch. In that story of Jacob where he was fleeing from his brother for fear of his life. He had a dream, and the dream was he saw heaven and a stairway to heaven and the angels descending and ascending on that stairwell. In that moment, God said to Jacob, in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God loves the world. We see this again and again and again in the golden calf story. God says, I will wipe out, I will consume this people, the Hebrews, in their rebellion against God. Moses prays this way, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? And catch this, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did God bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Did you catch the logic of Moses? In that desperate moment where his people are about to be consumed, Moses prays, Lord, what will the Egyptians say? Moses can pray that way because he knows God loves the world. The story of David and Goliath. As the two come from their hilltops and meet before the brook, David says to Goliath, you're going to be defeated today. He says this, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Again, let me translate that. Goliath, you're going to be struck dead today. And the reason is so that God has a missionary purpose, that all the people of this world would know that there is a God among us that actually works and answers the prayers of His people. When that tabernacle was established and the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the tabernacle, you know the story where David danced before the people? You know, he also wrote a song. And in that song, David wrote these words, Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all peoples. David celebrated and danced, but his words give life to it, and that has everything to do with the love of the living God. God is for the world. He loves this world. Our God is a missionary God. At the dedication of the temple, Solomon prayed with these words. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 41, you read the words of Solomon, Likewise, "'When a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a faraway country, hear for your name's sake. For they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this house, O Lord, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you.' In order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. I could go on. The prophet Daniel has two times in his story where the king, the foreign, the Gentile king wrote letters to the nations saying, know the Lord. The first one was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego after the fiery furnace. The second one is after David comes out from the lion's den There we read these words from King Darius, the Persian king. Darius wrote In all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers. And rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who was saved, Daniel, from the power of the lions. Our God loves this world. He loves every people. He is committed. Story after story after story, He is calling us to recognize His passion for the world. Isaiah 53, that suffering servant passage. It promises that the suffering servant would sprinkle many nations in his atoning sacrifice. Psalms call us to sing, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Notice this is from the Aaronic blessing, the benediction after a sacrifice. And he's applying, he's saying, Let our worship be acceptable to you, okay, that your saving power be known among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. Again, that's Psalm 67. The prophets. Ah, Brian, you led us through Jonah earlier. Thank you. Like, that's not the smallest promise in there, but it's a powerful one, is it not? And that passage, that story ending with the words, God saying to Jonah, and should I not pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are 120,000 and many cattle alongside. You see, this is no small theme. I have not taken hidden passages of Scripture in the nooks and crannies of the Bible and brought them before you. These are the stories that we're teaching our children in the Sunday school now. These are the stories that make the most exciting pages of our children's storybook Bibles. And missions is at the heart of it. Like our God loves with a passionate, never-ending, never-conquered, never-overwhelmed, persevering love. It's a love for the nations. It's no small theme. And so when we read John 3.16 again, we see the words, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. It's not the introduction of a new idea. The light bulbs aren't going on for the first time, and we're like, oh, that's cool. No, this is the next chapter, and when He tells us about Jesus, He's saying to the extent that. Like, we already know the baseline is there. Our God is passionate about the nations but he loves them so much that he gave Jesus. He loves them to the extent that he gave Jesus. And he didn't just give Jesus to be born in a manger. He gave them over, as we are going to read later on in the Gospel of John, to death. To the extent that Jesus could be sacrificed. Christ is for the world. Because God loves the world. But it doesn't stop with Jesus. And that's the second point, that we're on an adventure. And that's what we read in chapter 20 of, our, of our, two reading, our two Bible stories. Look at chapter 20, verse 19. Actually, yeah. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, There's a lot that I'd love to touch on this. I'd love to touch on the fear. I'd love to touch on the the locked door. I'd love to touch on all sorts of things, but let's focus on the commission. Notice what happens immediately before this commission in our passage. Jesus appears to his disciples. He says, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. This commission... As the Father sent me, so I send you. What's new about it? Well, the content of it is, it's the same message. The kingdom of God has come. Repent. We're sent under the same authority. We're sent as ambassadors. We're sent with the same methods. Fellowship. Proclamation. We're sent to serve the same mission, to bring in all the peoples of the earth. Well, what's new about this? John Stott points out that these stories are connected where Jesus shows the wounds and says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Jesus calls us to go vulnerably. He's saying, I'm sending you to enter into my suffering. I'm sending you to redisplay my sacrifice. It's a path where we, on the one hand, are present and we see people and we care for them. We're with them in the journey. By the way, that's some of the beauty of this uh, retirement community ministry that we have. Some of the people won't remember an hour from now, from the visit, that you were actually there with them. But, The Lord is there. Your presence matters. Your compassion matters. Your listening matters. To be with people, to love them, and at the same time, to speak the truth. To tell the story of the gospel, of a coming God who will one day judge the earth, a God who has conquered death, a God who is making a new people for himself. And when these two are held together, what a mighty combination. I'm with you. I love you. And at the same time, here's the story of the kingdom. Missionaries have done this for ages. I know parents have done this as well in their homes. But the challenge, part of this challenge is to do it with people who are different. Let me tell you the story of one missionary, Bethany Alms. She's a woman working in Nicaragua. She is uh, working with storytelling, working with a community, hearing their background, finding stories of the Bible that they can go through, and then in community discussions, learning those stories and giving simple reflection. So picture a refugee community. What stories of the Bible might you share with them? Well, you might share the story of the Exodus, being a refugee community living under the pharaohs. You might tell the story of, of Ruth, where the family, because of famine, were pushed to Moab. You might tell the story of the flight of, of uh, the, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary to Egypt again on their flight. All of these are refugee stories. And so being able to tell these stories and then give reflection with the questions, who is God in this story? What surprises you here? What do you want out of this that the the characters learned? She's present and she's speaking the truth. The problem with living there is it's trouble. there's, There's pain there. Because when you speak the truth in love, there's often the challenge, the pushback. That's why Paul prays for courage and boldness. Boldness that he'd actually stick in that moment and courage that he'd stay in that moment. One missionary is um, actually a Catholic. I grew up in Hawaii, so I learned about a father named Father Damien. Father Damien moved to Hawaii. He was from Belgium, and he ministered in a leprosy colony. In that leprosy colony, Father Damien... uh, shared the gospel, translated songs, helped with the church plant, all sorts of things, knowing that leprosy is fairly easy to contract when you're around it. He hung in there courageously, boldly. He hung in there, and one day, the story goes, that he was um, handling some hot tea, and when that freshly boiled water spilled onto his foot he realized he had leprosy because he didn't feel the hot water he served faithfully till the end there's story after story after story of this life-giving life sacrificing faithfulness where these two things are held together i'm with you i care about you i see you and i see you as beautiful and at the same time this is the truth of the lord here's the story. But how easy it is to slip to one side or the other. I have a dear friend of mine. His name is Chris. Chris had the conviction, I've got to share the gospel. And one day he loaded up his hand with tracks and he was riding through on his bicycle and he's like, I've got to share the gospel. I've got to share the gospel. And as he was passing by, he saw a family and he took his handful of tracks and threw it at them and kept on pedaling. You see, there's truth without presence. That's an extreme example. But can you imagine yourself just going there? I'm going to speak the truth, but I'm not going to bother to know you well. I'm not going to live vulnerably in your presence. And then the other side can go the same, same problem, just a different direction. I love you. I'm here. I'm present. Uh, but I'm not going to speak the truth because it might ruin the relationship. So, there's a funny story. It's, um, it's not true, but it's still funny. There's a friend who um, was excited about friendship evangelism, and so he had a neighbor, and he said to his neighbor, hey, come on over for some barbecue. Let's enjoy the evening together. And they had, they had a good barbecue. And, um, and then he's like, hey, let's go to the ball game next Sunday. And, and let, so, they went out to the ball game, and they did whatever. And then, then the next one, they, um, he's like... I can help mowing his lawn. I'm going to surprise him, and I'm going to cut his grass for him and, uh, and do this. So he does all this week after week after week after week. He's so kind. He's nice. He's having him in this home. And after, you know, a few months, the non-Christian says to the Christian, you know, you're just the nicest guy. Thank you. Are you a Buddhist? So you catch, it's easy to (laughs) you catch it, is you can go either side. And what I want to challenge you to is hold the two together. And that's where you're going to need the courage and the boldness to be able to go forward. That, by the way, sets up a theology of suffering. Because that's the very thing that drove Jesus forward. He stayed among his people, he stayed living vulnerably even to the end, even through the trial even through the cross. Michael Gorman is a New Testament professor. He wrote that every, he made the observation of the New Testament every single time that the Apostle Paul speaks of knowing that Jesus loves his people. He couches it in the context of knowing the suffering of Jesus. So in Romans chapter five, verse eight, we read, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Again, that was Roman 5, 8. Paul could suffer, knowing that because he knew the gospel would be proclaimed in that suffering, he wrote in Colossians, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. He's saying, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And maybe some of you are saying, well, wait, there's nothing left in the suffering of Jesus. He's secured it all, and he has. You're absolutely right in terms of the atonement. What we're being called to do in missions is enter into the story and enter into the retelling of this story, to enter into this passionate love story of God that's been there through the ages so that the world would know that the God, our God, loves them. And it's this combination of living faithfully. I'm in your presence. I love you. And at the same time, speaking the truth of the story How do we do this? Like, do we just pull up our bootstraps and hang in there? Well, this third part is key, that we have an empowerment, that the Holy Spirit animates us, and that's in John 20, verse 22. And when he said this, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid. I had a pocket knife. My pocket knife was really cool. It had like six blades. The Suave Boy Scouts would have the little mini one with like two and a pair of scissors, two blades and a pair of scissors. In the store, you could get one with like an inch and a half thick, and it had like 20 blades. There, you could like have a microscope, or not a microscope, but a magnifying glass, a little saw blade you could cut a branch with, tweezers, toothpicks, um, scissors, of course, all sorts of gadgets. I liked my pocket knife. The funny thing about it is, I never used it. And sometimes I'm afraid that we see the Holy Spirit like that. Oh, that's a really cool story in the Bible. Or we hear a mission story, and like someone comes to Christ in a dream, and we say, Th- that's really cool. But we never use it. What I want us to see here is that in order for us to enter into the suffering of Christ, to stand faithfully in boldness and with courage, got to have the Holy Spirit. Like, there's no way around it. It's a magic of the living God. He has to show up. One of the powerful things of this story is that the Apostle John takes us to an Old Testament illustration. When he breathes on them, he's actually referring to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says there, "...as Adam was created." He had formed a man out of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. So that when Jesus breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, he is saying, I'm commissioning you like Adam was commissioned on his first day. Adam was told to multiply and fill the earth. Being animated by the Spirit, we're told to go into all the world making disciples, using our gifts to bless the nations. Jesus is saying, as Adam was given the breath of life to fulfill that commission, I give you the Holy Spirit to share in my mission, to be strong and courageous, to enter into my suffering. You need my life to lead you. You need my life to teach you. You need my life to remind you of the gospel when it feels like everything is lost. I give you this third person of the Trinity. I give you myself. And just as that lump of clay that God formed Adam into was transformed into a living being in Genesis, so we, the disciples of Jesus, in the reception of the holy spirit are transformed into living beings to fulfill this mission and sometimes this giving of the spirit bears fruit in allowing us to live by faith we see people with the eyes of god look around the beauty of this room people who are gifted who are joyful <laughs> A sign of a healthy church is when the deacons have to flash the lights to get people to go home. I suspect in this place, we're going to have the deacons flashing the lights saying, people, please, we got to go home because we love each other, because we know each other's stories, and that's a gift of the Spirit, that cultivated affection, that compassion, that love for one another. But can it happen for someone who's different from us? Can we look at someone who, maybe a woman with a head covering or an indie man with a turban and have the same faith-filled, spirit-granted set of eyes that look at them with compassion and joy and through the confusion of a cross-cultural relationship, persevering through the misunderstandings, be able to say, I love you. This gospel's for you. Paul, in his ministry, was able to describe the sufferings of many types being tired from long, wearisome travels, the shame of being a tent maker to sustain himself, being a teacher but not being paid, shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, the sword. You as well will go through a variety of sufferings for this gospel. I want you to know, because you're animated by the Spirit, there is a tomorrow. You have a future, and you're born for this moment of extending this kingdom and making the light of the beauty of Christ seen as you represent Him to those nooks and crannies of the earth. And so let me encourage you, let's move forward in this. This is the purpose of the age. This is why we're gathered together. This is our joy to enter into. And when you see it happening, enjoy that. Whether it be seeing a college student from Ball State go forward in mission, or Taylor going forward for a summer missions, that's a thrill. Or when you see a life transformed by the gospel, that's a mark of God's presence among us. Or the Lord answering the prayer of a non-believer, that the Lord would relieve us from depression when we need it and answering our prayer, oh my word, that's the kingdom going forward. This week, we have set aside to grow in the gospel, to grow in this mission. And let's take a step forward. I don't know what it will be for you, but I know there's a step forward. I know we're in this together whether it be going, whether it be praying, whether it be welcoming, maybe opening your home to a, a global student. Let's take a, one step forward and rejoice in that. And where we see it dotted throughout this congregation, let's rejoice in that as a sign that the living God is among us because these things don't happen by accident. They are miraculous that this love would be created among us and extended to people who are different. With that, let's close in prayer, asking the Lord to do that work. Father, thank you for your blessing. Give us life and joy. Fill us again with your spirit for this mission. For Jesus' name's sake we pray, amen.